Welcome to Andy Metapod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're talking about shipping in Voyager. There's a lot of shipping in Voyager. There are nine regular characters and then there are guest stars. Popular guest stars. Yeah, I don't see Chakotay Seska on your list. <laughs> I forgot that was a thing. I mean, I have, a, I actually have, have a lot of thoughts about that ship, but they, I don't know if they necessarily need to take up our podcast time. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Future episode. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I, I have a, I love Seska, and I think that as far as canon relationships go, it's not, that one's not one that we need to go into <laughs> great detail. Right. Seska is too good for him. Let's just put it that way. Most women are, but particularly Seska. But, you know, she has terrible taste in men all around. I don't think there's a single man on the series who is good enough for her. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest and say I ship Seska with Balana. <laughs> if oh, she's like going to have a, a relationship, she should have it with Balana. I agree. Should we maybe define shipping in this context for listeners who maybe didn't spend their teenage years? Sure, I know uh, that on <laughs> GeoCities <laughs> fan sites, we do have a few people, I suppose. No, I actually think uh, I confuse people all the time sometimes with uh, with shipping, and then when I'm actually talking about shipping, like toxic chemicals, which is something <laughs> I do in my job, people start to get confused about that as well. So mm, mm. <laughs> because they've they've come to know me for the other kind of shipping, the kind of shipping that we're talking about <laughs> today. Well, you know, some people just have really toxic OTPs. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if anyone is going to ship some toxic chemicals, it's probably going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so shipping in this context, I believe the term came from the X-Files fandom in the 90s, but it's an interest in two fictional characters or more romantically. Uh, some people speak of shipping it in the sense that they actively want the characters to be together in canon or they only consume or write fan fiction about that pairing and those characters. Other people use it in a more nebulous way to talk about characters who they like as couples, even though it's not necessarily something they're actively thinking about at any particular time. Does that? Yes, I think that is a, a good basic mm. definition. I will say that when I talk about shipping, I don't necessarily define it as romantic or sexual mm. or a couple. It does, it, it can, when I, I ship a lot of friends and I usually think they are actually sleeping together, but <laughs> I don't need them to be. So, right. so I'm just going to say that when I talk about shipping personally, because I, as I said earlier, I do it a lot. Mm. I don't automatically mean love, uh, just you know, like, uh, what's the word? A <laughs> romantic or sexual connection. I <laughs> right. um, but I, I, I was saying that they only are in love with, because there are some people who are really against multi-shipping. 
like they don't oh, understand strange. the concept of multi-shipping because they have one pairing that they, you know, ride or die for and they cannot conceptualize anyone else. Whereas I'm like, everyone is in love with Janeway. <laughs> Literally the entire ship is in love with Obviously. Janeway and I can come up with a scenario for all of them. Yes. So I guess what I'm saying is I use shipping very loosely and I think that I will try to rein myself in and just stick <laughs> with romance for this discussion. Right. Whereas I tend to use shipping a little bit more in the sense of a pairing that I actively am interested in. Like I would say that I don't ship Paris Torres, but that doesn't mean I don't like them together. I'm just not very invested in that relationship. Okay. I think I think we're all on the same page now. It's, we're good. Yeah, yeah. We both have idiosyncratic approaches, but I think we've described them. That's right. So that people who are listening will, will be able to follow along. Yes. And then you've created a list of canon couples, and I have a couple of points to make about this, but uh, first of all, does anyone in the world ship Neelix Kess? No. Not even the show, it turns out. No. They tried for a little while, but they realized that it was actually horrible and Emilio broke them up. And it was it was better for both characters, better for the series yeah, as a whole, yeah. better for their relationship. I think I don't have a problem with the age gap. I know people say it's basically pedophilia because Kess is only two, but it's really hard to get your mind around the concept of a, a a species which reaches adulthood at age one and only lives to about nine or ten. So I, I don't think that's a valid criticism. When there are so many more valid criticisms to make of Neelix Kess, my God. Yeah. I will say, because there's this whole arc about Neelix being very jealous of Kess and not letting her spend time with people and jumping down her throat whenever she has a social connection with someone. And, and once that's passed in season two, I think they had a much better relationship. And for example, in, um, oh, you know, the episode with Suspiria, the uh, female caretaker, Neelix is suddenly much more supportive and interested in Kess and uh, less inclined to mansplain her own abilities to her than in the past. But I think that's just a sign that they're much better as friends than lovers. I think they were still dating during that, though. They were, they were, yeah. but I think the show was pivoting from attempting to write a romance to what if we just say that these people are friends and occasionally remember that they're also meant to be dating. Yeah. I mean, I think that on paper it makes sense as a romance because they were both sort of outcasts from their society Yeah. that found each other in a very, you know, uh, what is it, a speed that says... People start relationships during trauma all the time. Yes. And they don't yes. last. And I feel like Neelix and Kess fits that mold of we had this very heightened drama mm. situation that created a closeness that lingered, but eventually they realized that it wasn't based in real romantic feelings for each other. No, no. I think that puts it really well. And like... It makes me sad that Kess spent the best years of her life with Neelix, but I guess as starter boyfriends go, there are worse hedgehogs. 
I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm hard on Neelix because I'm still in season three of my rewatch, mm. and he's only starting mm. to become someone that I can stand at all. I really, like, early Neelix is just really hard for me. He's just that kind, the type of character that I don't like, that he's very needy. He doesn't accept anyone's boundaries. He's just walking right all over all of them. And That's it, exactly. I really just don't like that particular character trait. But he's starting to grow. Yes. And he's starting to gain a little bit more, like become an actual part of the crew and instead of sort of inserting himself into the crew. Yes, yes. And, and it's... Voyager gets a lot of criticism for not really letting its characters grow, but I think Neelix grows a lot over the years. Uh, it's just unfortunate that he starts off so both objectionable and irritating. Right. So a lot of people had already given up on him by the time he became a character worth spending time with. Yeah. And it's also a real shame because Ethan Phillips is so talented and charming, as most Star Trek actors tend to be. Yeah, I think that it's another case that they just weren't quite sure how to get a... Like, I don't think that they conceived of the character as annoying and pushy and needy. But But that's how how he came off. Like, they just didn't quite know how to write the character that they wanted him to be. And both he and the writers grew into the idea of Neelix. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there was also an inclination to sort of soft-pedal his darker or less savory elements for the audience so because you know he starts off this sort of rough and tumble almost scavenger slash con artist and uh that that doesn't really come off after the first first few episodes and we see flashes of it now and then but it doesn't really it's not really a consistent trait right uh so also within the neelix cast dynamic there was also tom paris um, where they really they really tease a relationship between Paris mm. and Cass a few times. Um, it's it seems to be more of Paris is attracted to her, and mm. she she's attracted to him, but it's like he actually wants something, whereas she's sort of is flirtatious. Um, I don't even know if he was that attracted. Like, she's very pretty and he's aware of that. But we see how Tom acts when he's around someone he's desperately attracted to. And that's not how he treated Kess. That's true. But in the in the beginning, there was that, like, they were really trying to sell that he had something. Mm. I mean, also oh. in the beginning, Tom Paris was, like, trying to have a relationship with, like, everyone. So it, yeah. it, was, it was possibly just a continuation of that. Um, but there was... There were a few times where he definitely seemed to have latent feelings for her. Yeah. I I know the script tried to tell us that, but what I saw on screen was that Tom thought Kess was his nice little sister. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, also with early Tom Paris, like they really were trying to write him as a like a Lothario almost and I know, Robbie I know. Duncan McNeil is just not like he could not do it he, he, no. is, he is too I don't wholesome. know yeah wholesome earnest to pull White off bread. the the uh the 
script that he was being given. Mm-hmm. Not because he's a bad actor, just because that isn't that isn't what was going to happen. That was he. I mean, either he was miscast if that's what they were trying for, or he was just determined to make Tom Paris into a better person. <laughs> I think also I watched The First Duty with my flatmate last night. We are racing through TNG. And I was struck by how in, in, in basing Tom Paris on Nick Lacano, they sort of misunderstood Lacano because the whole thing about Nick was that he was the rot at the core of the golden boy, if that makes sense. He's, this is a very inappropriate metaphor, but he's your Brock Turner. He's your boy with a bright future who did something terrible. Not sexual assault in this case, thank God, because Star Trek is not really that kind of show. But but someone did die. Of... Yeah, yeah, that's the archetype. And so trying to shoehorn that actor and that sort of character into this sleazy Lothario role just didn't make sense. Yeah, but in any case, the script tried to tell us that there was something between Cass and Paris, and they even have yes. that one episode where they're like married and have a daughter who grows up and marries Harry Kim, which is many kinds of disturbing, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, science fiction. One of my formative reads as a kid was the series The Tower and the Hive by Anne McCaffrey, where literally the girls do grow up to marry the best friends of their usually their mothers. So I'm like, hmm, cool. I see where a lot of my childhood and adolescent preferences came from. That's great. Thank you for perpetuating that Star Trek. Still a bit weird. Yeah. All right. So... I think, <laughs> Go ahead. I think, again, it's that thinking about the Ocampan lifespan yeah, it's I'm, difficult. It's difficult. It gives you a headache. I mean, that episode, yeah. up until that episode, I was really willing to buy that one year of Kess's life was like, you know, 10 years yeah. of a human. I was, I was willing to, to give them that and just be like, whatever, we can, you know, she doesn't have to have this rapid aging thing because it doesn't make sense that an Ocampa year would be the same as an Earth year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it almost made me wonder if they knew when they did that episode that Jennifer Leanne was leaving soon and so didn't knew that they didn't have to follow that canon too closely. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely when talks were happening, if not, mm. if not known. So. Yeah. Uh, Paris Torres, you just recapped Blood Fever. Yes, I did. <laughs> the, I mean, the beginning of Parasaurus is really, I wouldn't say the pilot because really uh, Tom spends more time with Janeway and Harry and Bellana spends more time with Harry. Um, Caretaker really ships Torres Harry. Yes. It, it's, and they're super cute. It's like, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have turned that away. That, that, I think that's adorable. But we're talking about canny couples, and yes. they certainly in Faces, which is in the first season, they already have a moment. So yes. it is, and even in um, the cloud, the coffee, there's coffee in that yes. Nebula episode, which is like fourth, I don't know, it's, it's really early. Um, she, it, like they have a little, like he's trying to, to you know, he's, he, mm. he's, smirking at her about his amazing holodeck yeah he can really design a sleazy bar (laughs) go go tom um (sighs) and she calls him a pig and it's like okay 
like even that early wrong there was grounds mean you have to get married that that could exactly wrong meals mean mm. you have to get married so you could see it and they last the whole series you know mm. they they start going in the third season and they last to the end end up mm. married with child so Watching season two, I was struck by how many little moments they have. Like uh, when Tom is doing his faux mutineer routine, uh, Balano's one of the people who calls him out and goes, what the hell are you doing with your life? And so, excuse me, when blood fever comes up and you learn that Balana is attracted to him, it actually feels quite organic in a way that I didn't appreciate watching things out of order and willy-nilly on VHS. Yes, and that, I will say that, that uh, wait, I always say that, um, you know, like Riker and Troy's relationship becomes really good by accident, for, for example, but yeah. Paris and Taurus, I, the, the writers cared. They were, they yes. had a plan and they executed it and they took, they took care. I mean, honestly, I, when I started rewatching Voyager, it was from a Bolana perspective because I had decided yeah. that Bolana was actually the best written character on the show. That her arc is really well done, and mm. it seems like they, whoever, <laughs> someone on the writing staff cared about making her character consistent across all seasons. Yeah, and yeah, and and she has the advantage of being somewhat in the background, so she doesn't have the same pressures as Seven and Janeway. Exactly. She's just allowed to do her thing and be herself. Um, and and of course, her relationship with Tom is a big part of that because it was a big part mm. of her character. And I think it's really cool to see her go from being not quite an angry teenager, but she's very very young. And I didn't appreciate watching as a kid how young she was to. A fully fledged adult. Oh yeah, I've called it a coming of age as an adult story. Mm, yeah, uh, and she is young. You're absolutely like teenage, like adolescent brains. If you go mm. with like medical <laughs> terminology, adolescence is through twenty seven. <laughs> you know, wow. that's that's how long it takes to quote unquote grow up in terms of biology and biochemistry. So she, they, they are quote-unquote teenagers, even though they are adults. She couldn't be much more than 22, could she, at the beginning? Right, exactly. She can't be that old. I also, I don't, like, I, I just said that um, their relationship is a big part of her character arc, but not to Bolana's detriment. Like, that, you, no. a lot of, you know, when a, when a woman character gets into a romantic relationship and suddenly everything becomes about the guy, like, mm. or that's a cliche, if not truth. And I think that cliches and stereotypes, there's a lot of truth in them. But Bolana, again, someone cared to make their relationship, like, she really drives it. He, yes. he falls for her. He pursues her. But she's, she's like, it's about her. It's about her accepting, like, just accepting that she has, the, you know, in blood fever, she admits that she has these feelings and that she's been avoiding them. Like she's, she doesn't yeah. want to, to deal with it. And all of like, all of their big steps are driven more by Bolana than by Tom. And her growth doesn't end when her relationship begins. Right. She's still like, even when she finds out she's pregnant, we're still learning about her and her family. And she is still moving forward past her childhood. Whereas Tom, I think, 
it's not that the focus moves away from him, but his storylines, they're, they're sort of more external. They're driven by outside forces rather than his own past, which I think is good because his past is actually not that interesting. But it would be would have been so easy to reduce Bellana's storylines to just love yeah, interest, right? And mother to, to fixing Tom's issues like that—that's yeah, the yeah. trap that they avoided, and it's sort of amazing that in yeah. the '90s they were able to completely avoid this trap of guy with daddy issues gets girlfriend, and it's her suddenly her job to fix everything that's wrong with his inner familial relationships yes and not only that but his girlfriend is a woman of color and she still doesn't have to fix him whereas even discovery sort of skirted around the idea that michael had an obligation to help ash and it ultimately pushed back against that but it came closer than some people liked yeah so i really i like paris taurus is not it's it's not my first choice pairing for either side but I really appreciate their relationship and it's certainly like my favorite canon Star Trek relationship except for Spock and Uhura because yes that will always be also you know I'm watching TNG and we're into the Keiko and Miles stuff and it's just so refreshing to know that there is a relationship coming up where the partners seem to know and like each other yes where marriage actually makes sense yes (laughs) and Yes. Like, yes. It was a good choice. I mean, the, I really, Drive is not a good episode, but I really love how they approach the idea of should we get married? Because yeah. it is really sort of like we've reached a plateau in our relationship and we either move forward or we stop. And they have this really, like, frank, open discussion about it. Yes. That I, it, it's just, it's, it's really refreshing to see. Yes, and it would have been just as refreshing if they had gone, well, we don't need to get married. We don't need to set milestones or require external recognition. But they choose to, and I think either just having the discussion in Star Trek is a step forward. Exactly. It's this discussion that matters, not the decision. Yes. Uh, you, you said a couple of times that the writers really care, and I think that's true, but I also think it's worth noting how in the first couple of seasons, particularly... Uh, Jerry Taylor was interested in sort of putting people together and seeing how it worked you know we had a couple of episodes that sort of flirted with uh, Chakotay Torres and that didn't really work out so they moved on and we had all these scenes of Janeway and Chakotay together and that did work out so they gave us resolutions which I reviewed just recently in my blog squidishly.net and was actually kind of unsatisfied with it as a depiction of a relationship but you know I was a big Janeway Chakotay Chakotay shipper as a teenager and I'm at, at this early stage where they're still friends and where Robert Beltran is still acting I'm still into it <laughs> yeah I uh, <laughs> I wish that I shipped Jamie and Chakotay more mm. because and throughout being a part of Voyager fandom, I have felt this way. They're the most popular ship. Yes. And the juggernaut ship. And I, I feel a little left out 
because it's another one where it's just like, I think that Janeway probably is my favorite person for Chakotay to be with, but Mm. Chakotay is definitely not my favorite person for (laughs) Janeway to be with. And so... Very well, yes. My feeling, having watched season one and two now, and I'll get to season three at some point, is that they really did care about each other and they could have had a really good relationship had they been able to set rank aside. And they chose not to. And then after Seven of Nine came on board, they just slowly fell apart. And, you know, that's basically what happened behind the scenes. But I think if 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 Star Trek Picard tries to tell me that Janeway and Chakotay are a thing now, I would laugh because I would not believe it. Because the, the last few years of the series don't say that to me. Agreed. Agreed strongly. Mm. Which is not to say that I wasn't still writing Janeway Chakotay fic right up to season seven, but there, a lot of it was angry and pushing back against canon and yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, yeah, I just, I, w- I wish that I had more invested in them. I, I am hugely invested in Janeway Paris. I've said this many times before. Yes. And I don't think I'm crazy. I think the early seasons. Absolutely. Are honestly, they are, they're, something is there. Uh, I agree. They are together. They have flirtatious discussions in multiple episodes um and they do have that episode that everybody hates but i love where he like they turn into lizards (laughs) where he steals her they turn into lizards but i mean he picked her for a reason imagine your otp there's 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 no way that there isn't something underlying it and i i honestly think that even when i think that paris realizes that that's never going to (laughs) happen even if they get together they're not going to be together and so he finds someone that he can have an actual relationship with yes but i don't think that the 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 connection goes away even even then they have a tight bond and it's more than just mentor protege right that's exactly, that's a, that's a great way of saying it. I think that they would both be more comfortable if it was mentor-protege, but there's something mm. else there. Yeah, like, oh no, we're attracted to each other. Let's never speak of it and never acknowledge it, but flirt sometimes. Right, and, and, and I love that relationship exactly as it is. Like, I am, I, this is what I mean when I say that I ship things that aren't necessarily a relationship. Mm. Like, they're, they have a relationship, even if it is never romantic or sexual explicitly. There is, some, there is some kind of connection, some kind of bond that goes more than a familial or friendship or mentor-protege type of something. There is something, yes. there. there's an electricity, let's call it, a chemistry. Um, that that they exactly never have to speak of but can play with now and again. Mm. And that's so, enough for me. <laughs> I was thinking about how this would work if the genders were flipped and then it occurred to me, you and I also ship Ensign Rowe and Captain Picard, which is a similar sort of, exactly. you know, convict's officer being mentored by a captain relationship. Right. That, so into it that there is a little bit of like danger a little bit of forbidden like mm. inappropriateness to it 
But not like wholly. It's not like actually really inappropriate. You know, maybe there's no. an age gap, but it's not like they're not children. <laughs> like um, they're both, a, you know, everyone's an adult. Everyone is, is, there's a power differentiation, but it's not like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, especially in Voyager, like I think it's really, Janeway obviously took real pains to keep herself separate from everyone because she understood yes. the power differentiation. But I think that because like the longer, if, if they had been out there longer, <laughs> the would more time they were, they were kept separate from the rest of their, their original community and they were just their own little tiny community. It's like less than 120 people on that ship. Eventually, yeah. all of that rank stuff would just have to fall apart. Absolutely. In order to, in order to continue having like the community town type of everything mm. that they have to be. Like eventually people who were married and they would they would realize that they had to move on. Like like a lot of things I think the longer they're out there, the more all of the different boundaries to relationships would go away. I agree. And in the real world, a relationship between Janeway and any of her subordinates would be inappropriate. But even by Star Trek rules, even if they're in the Alpha Quadrant, it would be eyebrow raising, but basically okay. And here I'm thinking of the TNG episode Lessons, where Picard has a relationship with a lieutenant commander under his command. And it would have been a successful relationship, except that she transferred to another ship and he decided not to pursue a long-distance relationship. So I think, I think Star Trek's rule is, or Starfleet's rule is, it's better not to have a relationship within your own chain of command. And that's a really good rule, follow it in real life. But when that relationship happens, that makes for interesting drama. Right. And, and Voyager, just the way, the premise of the series makes it yeah. really hard <laughs> to, yes. to keep up with those. Yes. Those boundaries. Uh, a relationship that's outside of the chain of command is Chakotay 7. I guess, because, because Seven doesn't have a rank. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in season six, I wrote, uh, I called them columns, like op-eds, but it was more like a blog post without a blog. Uh, but I wrote something calling for uh, Jane, uh, Chakotay 7 relationship because I thought that would be really interesting because they didn't really like each other at first so and yet both have this connection with Janeway. So this was written before they got together in canon? Yeah, a couple of years before. Oh, maybe about a year. Interesting. So, because Monkey's poor. As much as Janeway Chakotay is the juggernaut, Chakotay 7 is like, people hate this ship. <laughs> Oh, I know. Hardcore anger. The sheer... I was in multiple JC mailing lists and the sheer amount of misogynistic abuse heaped on Seven of Nine and Jerry Ryan was just horrible. It was really, really unpleasant. And there was a lot of, well, she has big breasts, so she's a slut. And I'm going... I'm glad I was stuck in my little Janeway Paris bubble. See, that. there's something, there's a lot to be said for not shipping the juggernaut pairing. I mean, I also 
shipped Janeway Seven, and there was a lot of anger there. But I did, mm. I wasn't as involved in the fandom because they were all. Re- there was so much drama too. Like there was so much drama there yeah. that I was just like, how about no? I'll just ship it by myself over here in my little corner. But Chicote yeah. Seven, I didn't ship it during this. I thought it was weird <laughs> in the series. I was like, <laughs> I mean, I also say that that's, there's always in Star Trek a seventh season relationship that comes out of nowhere <laughs> that is sort of random kind of weird yes and it's like and the only, okay <laughs> the only good one is Worf and Troy because that grew organically out of their friendship and their relationships with Alexander right and everyone else like I liked Worf and Troy and I was sorry that that just was never spoken of again I just assumed that they broke up and moved on and Deanna's really good at breakups so Worf didn't feel bad anyway yeah and there's a hundred things wrong with Esri and Fischier so we just don't even (laughs) need to talk about that but um but Chakotay and Seven was like okay I guess that's happening but the more people hate it the more I like it that's it (laughs) I'm that person because I had thought a year earlier that it would be an interesting relationship and because people were being so horrible about Seven of Nine, I decided to ship it really, really hard. Uh, this is not really a good foundation for a long-term OTP. And these days I'm kind of like, really? Really? Because, okay, the episode where Seven of Nine is trying out romance and she has the holographic Chicote. <laughs> really like it he is the perfect starter boyfriend exactly that's that's my that's my argument in a nutshell is Chakotay yeah. is the perfect starter boyfriend he's just he's gentle he's soft-spoken he has toxically masculine traits but he mostly keeps them under wraps and then when it became a real actual thing in Endgame that was just bad And truthfully, I have trouble seeing Seven as anything other than asexual and sort of struggling against Star Trek and the universe's default romances for everyone. I think that Chakotay and Seven, I see it as they would have a good, like, junior high relationship. Like, they hold hands and have pet names and, you know, and, and what, don't like, actually do anything they can they can have sex that's fine but it wouldn't be long term it wouldn't be end no. game pun intended it wouldn't mm. be real it would be this is our first this is my first relationship and i'm in love and now i understand what love is and now we're going to break up because you are not the person meant for me and yes. Chakotay would be fine with that because she is not the person meant for him either. No. In fact, in one of the reboot novels, and I'm pretty sure it's one of the ones by Kristen Beyer, uh, they basically go on a tour of all of their friends. And this is after Janeway's death. Uh, they go on a tour of all of their friends going, oh, we're just friends. Really, we were more into Janeway. And then there's this subtext of no homo. So that's... I mean, I think they are more into Janeway homo all the way. Um, exactly. I really think at some point we should do like a series of episodes on the reboot novels. We just need to, you know, read them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I just said that I was in the Janeway, I, I tiptoed into Janeway 7 fandom mm. and they scared me, so I left. But <laughs> I, I totally shipped it. And 
now, I'm not sure I would as much as I did. Like, I haven't gotten to seven in my, in my rewatch, so I feel like it'll be interesting. I mean, again, I put shipping in everything. There's at least one now yes. kiss in all of my photo caps. But will I feel the same way? Like, I remember it. I have a nostalgic remembrance of it being such, you know, this, this real wonderful idea Important. of a relationship. Exactly. Significant relationship. Mm. And I don't think that that's what's going to happen. I really think that I'm going to be more towards the mentor-protege Janeway yes. as a collector of people. And, and that, yeah, Seven it should be... Seven should be asexual. Mm. And when she gets re- relationship training, A, Ugh. it shouldn't be the doctor. <laughs> and no. B, it shouldn't be heteronormative (laughs) like right all of that is wrong so you know we're already we're already at a flawed premise (laughs) but I really think that I'm not and and to be fair there was a big war between Janeway seven shippers and Torres seven shippers and I think Torres seven is a great relationship like I yes I would say that that would be my favorite Torres Seven, I think, is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it was. It's still like, it, you know, <laughs> the the show premiered almost twenty five years ago, and I think like two years ago, I was in <laughs> a flame war with between Janeway Shipper, Janeway Seven Shippers and Torres Seven Shippers. You know, I was just like they were reblogging my post, so so I was like on the sidelines for this. And I was like, I cannot believe that this is still going on all this these years later. But on the other hand, I guess I'm not surprised because I still see people on Tumblr with like angry warrior in their ID. And I'm like, that was a very racist sort of concept. It's 2019. Maybe we can stop. So, you know, I guess 20 year old ship wars are uh, yeah. better. It's- it's it's a thing. It is still a thing. <laughs> like I can, I can, I I have the receipts. <laughs> but my corner of uh, Voyager fandom was I started out in just Janeway Chicote groups, but I sort of ended up shipping Janeway with everyone and meeting the other people who shipped Janeway with everyone. And I think if I'd been more into Baylana, I might, my paths would have crossed with you as well. But I, I, it was just a great Janeway everyone party. And the best of the mailing lists was the one for Janeway Kashik, the, the one-off character in Counterpart, Counterpoint. And that's still my ultimate Janeway OTP. I love that relationship. It's I love so that episode. Great. I listed that episode as one of the top ten in Voyager. I think that episode is amazing. I think the dynamic between the two of them is so yes. good. And I just, I could watch... Multi, you know, I could watch a whole arc of it. it could yes, have, it could have, he could have shown up. Like it could have been like we're going through this space for multiple episodes, <laughs> and then he shows up, and they like I would have been all over like a five episode. Yeah, Janeway he could have thing. been Janeway's gull Ducat. Or as there was so much fic about, he could have been genuine in his desire to defect to the Federation and lived on Voyager and been sort of a 
a snide, amoral advisor to Janeway, who is also well and truly out of the chain of command. So they can bone down. Yeah, I wrote a scenario for that and someone got really angry with me because I was woobifying a villain. Oh, oh. <laughs> Which, okay. <laughs> I have bad news for that person about every single fic in the Janeway Kashik <laughs> mailing list. And this list, like, it had the best Janeway writers from, like, the best J7 writers, the best J Paris writers. They all converged on this list. And then there was me. I wasn't very good. Uh, But I met one of my oldest friends there, uh, Lisbeth Miles, who now writes tie-in fiction and scripts for Doctor Who via Big Finish, was a lurker in that list. It was just so much talent was there. It was brilliant. I think that's awesome. And I wish that I had known it existed. <laughs> I wish you had too. We um, started this podcast much earlier. <laughs> Before podcasts were a thing. We could have been inventors. But I, I also met a lot of people through the Voyager relationship mailing list. I will say that, that, that this was like the early... <laughs> It's, it's kind of like the beginning of social media. Yes. It was an amazing community that I sort of found again on Tumblr. Um, but yes. there is something sort of immediate about it being in your inbox. No, I agree. And, and I found some of the people I knew on mailing lists on Tumblr. I found someone I had an argument with 20 years ago and she's still wrong. So, but it's, it's not the same on Tumblr. It is a bit more impersonal. Right. I, I think it's because it's so, it's like more public. It's not like the mailing lists were private. I don't know. There, but there's... No, no. A stranger could come across this Tumblr post, I guess, is the idea. Someone I don't know and will never know that they saw it. Yes, that's it exactly. Whereas a mailing list, you have to opt in. There's usually like an introductory email when you sign up to give you an idea of the culture and the expectations. You know, mailing lists were great. We should bring them back. I actually feel like the Admiral's Legion Discord feels like an old Yeah, I was going to say that. I feel like now those little, like, uh, the Discords and Slacks and Aminos of the world are sort of, they've taken over that spot because they are closed message boards kind of thing, like a, a, yeah. a bigger group chat, which is similar to yeah. those, those mailing lists. Like. There were message boards and there were, then there were mailing lists. And one was yes. big and open and anyone could see it. And one was curated. Yes. Like still anyone can join, but you have to know about it and you have to ask. And and the, and, and the thing is that something like Twitter, like you can't, you can't make people follow the rules that you've made. No, and I think we saw that this last couple of weeks where the World Science Fiction Society or some members of it were very upset that some AO3 users were calling themselves Hugo Award winners because the archive won a Hugo. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a good, and it became like a huge crazy thing and everybody was, whoa, and it's just sort of like, I don't know. There's, 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 it's really like awards in general are such a funny thing to me <laughs> that... I mean, I'm not going to put it in my byline, but I don't. Oh, no, definitely not. I don't, I'm not, like, going to yell at anyone who does. 
<laughs> I think it would be silly to genuinely and sincerely promote yourself as a Hugo Award winner because of your fic, and I think it would border on actual dishonesty. But at the same time, I think the chances of someone sincerely doing that are very slim and it reflects more on them than anything else. Yeah, I think I agree. I agree. I don't think it really I think that the people who are taking offense, it's like it says more about that they're taking it too seriously. (laughs) And I don't think that the people that were like calling them, I don't think that they meant it in a way. It's not like they were trying to get something more for that. No. Well, Back in 2000, I won the alts.startrek.creative award for best Janeway Chakotay fic, and obviously that's in my resume. It's in my CV, you'll find it in my LinkedIn. It's very important. I won, like, a third place in a holiday Janeway Paris fic exchange (laughs) thing that, and it was bad. It was terrible, terrible. (laughs) Like, they didn't have enough entries. So I wrote something... And I got third place and I was just like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I got my first publishing credit that way too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, much... Okay, we're a bit off topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Janeway, and then I've written, uh, that hologram guy. Michael. Oh, that's his name. <laughs> I mean, he was ridiculous. It, it's everything about it was, I get why they did it. It would be an interesting story to have, again, because uh, Voyager is such a closed community, to have someone, and especially when their doctor is a hologram. So it's not like holograms are given more weight on Voyager than they are in, say, Deep Space Nine, where they're like sex dolls in Quark's Hollow Suite. So... I think it would be an interesting story about someone who is has reasons to not have a relationship on Voyager, but mm. five years in <laughs> to the the uh, the voyage wants something to yes. explore it with a hologram. I think that the Irish bartender hologram stereotype and the captain was the wrong choice mingling the concept of the hologram love interest with the whole irish setting was a bad move like i don't have much irish heritage but it was embarrassing i hate all of tom's hologram programs (laughs) i hate sandrine's Uh I hate the Luau, and I hate Fairhaven. Just to put that out there. How do you feel about Captain Proton? Okay. Captain Proton is great. But Captain Proton okay, is not open to the entire crew. Captain Proton yes. is something that Tom plays with his friends. Yes. And I do not understand why the, the sleazy Parisian bar, the fake Hawaiian resort... And the ridiculously stereotypical Irish seashore village are what he makes for the entire crew to play in. And they're all so stereotypical and sort of sterile that you start to wonder if Tom, either Tom doesn't have much imagination or 
earth in the 24th century is just so empty and micromanaged that it's basically the Singapore of the universe. I would say... And not the interesting parts of Singapore. I would say the second, and then why doesn't he just make somewhere off earth? I get that they're, you know, yearning for home or whatever, but none of those three things make me feel like... Yay, home. It's like at least make San Francisco. If you're gonna if you're gonna make Earth. Yes. I just I do not understand any of the and this is like super off topic, but none of it it's not romantic. <laughs> it is just awful. They are so bargain basement hollow <laughs> programs. Yes. And I don't understand why we are forced to Playing them. So yes, the Irish thing is terrible. The character himself, I did not particularly like. I thought he was a bit of a sleaze, which in fairness, male love interests for female characters in Star Trek are often very sleazy. And I think that's what the male writers think women are into. Mm. And, And then it was just, it was embarrassing and diminishing to Janeway, the way it was executed. Like, I wish it had been more... Janeway needs to bone down and less about uh, a relationship. Right. Because then we could have had really interesting stuff about holograms as sex toys. And if a hologram is capable of developing sentience, as the Doctor has and other holograms before him, is that ethical? Is that moral? What does the hologram want? What happens when your sex bot hologram develop sentience and would actually like to have the capacity to consent. Yeah. So, right, exactly. I would have liked all of that more than what we got, which was Janeway tries to have a relationship that won't, that, like, by definition isn't going to compromise her in any way, but it, like, 100% ends up compromising her. Yeah. And I also think there's this idea with a lot of Janeway's relationships because you saw it with Chakotay in, Revolu- in Resolutions, a very unrevolutionary episode, where the idea that her male love interest, because it's always a man, has to be completely without agency or any agenda beyond her. And it was uncomfortable with Chakotay as a man of colour and it's just kind of boring to have a love interest that she can reprogram. It would have been interesting if someone called her out on it. Yes. If that was like a plot point, but it was just a joke. Yeah, that's the other thing. I didn't like seeing... It was embarrassing seeing Janeway's sexuality treated as a joke. Exactly. I think that's it. It And also that that you said that it wasn't about sex. It was about a romance. And it's like, why? It's the same, like, her stupid Jane Eyre hollow novel nonsense in the beginning is the same, mm. like, I have to have a romance in my life because I'm, I'm the captain all the time and I don't get to... And it's like, no, you want mm. sex because you have been away from your fiancé for two years. Like, let's just, let's just go to the line here. This is what's actually happening. Just replicate a vibrator. I just, yeah. Yeah. I don't like any of Janeway's... Kashik is the only person that I enjoy their relationship mm. and beca- it's because it it seems beyond her. It's like she doesn't even want it to happen. 
Whereas all of her other ones, it's like she gets everything she wants. Yeah, like you're right with with Chicote. Mm. Chicote lays out his entire like soul to her and says, "You can have everything." And it's like, yes. ew, that is not that's not an equal relationship. That's not. Why would she want that? No, exactly. Whereas Kashik has his own agenda and. It's a very bad agenda based on the imprisonment and murder of telepaths. But also he's a one-off character in a very good episode. And so we as fic writers could go, oh, wow, yeah, if he had chosen to stay on board instead, he would have been this low-key agent of chaos and dissent and really interesting. Whereas I think if he had actually stuck around, he would have just ended up being, you know... Janeway's sexy boyfriend. And so if they wanted to do a hologram relationship, they have a hologram. Like, he's in the main cast, just do it with the Doctor. The Doctor and Kess had chemistry. Sorry, I I have literally never considered Janeway and the Doctor before. Okay, I have. Um, The Doctor and Seven, like, have a whole thing, but she's not interested or she doesn't really understand what he's even asking for. Yeah, and the power dynamic there is, is so unequal and not in the way I like. Exactly. But, you know, the Doctor and Janeway, I think it's because because she has these stupid relationships with Jane Eyre guy and with Michael. Michael the hologram. Because she, ha- like, because she, she dabby, dabbles in holographic romance. It's like, mm. just, just choose the Doctor. <laughs> He's right there. He's the only one who can take command away from her. It's like, hey, they're almost the only hologram who can consent. Right. So I just like I think if you're going to have the holographic relationship, which, again, I think is interesting, have it with the actual main character, you know, have more than one episode that really builds, like have an arc, have things happen, have feelings and conversations and you know do it in a more interesting way than delete the wife yes although if the doctor wanted to keep wearing that cassock while they were dating i'd be okay with that (laughs) so (laughs) the uh the only janeway pairing that we haven't discussed that i want to touch on is tubak because i am I am in a tiny little fandom of three <laughs> with my Janeway Tubak feels. I have never shipped it before because I've always had a very strong adultery squick. But, you know, with Kat Sarek, we decided that it was logical for Vulcans to practice polyamory at times. And so, yeah, go for it. Tapel understands. I like that my... my my cat Sarek nonsense is what convinced you. <laughs> well, again, I feel like this is a special case. I think that yes. I I have a I have you know hashtag justice for Tapel because she is someone that writers definitely never ever cared about. No, she's only in a couple of episodes. Yes, she's only in a couple of episodes, and it's not her. It's yes. Well, false representations of her. We never actually meet the real Tapel, and we we really get nothing about her. 
like there's just no information. No, because her kids, their, their kids are adults, so it's not like she's a full time Vulcan mum. She's probably off doing logic stuff. But given that Janeway's met her, yes, they are friends in theory. Yes, like Janeway and Tuvok are very close. And I can imagine that, like, Janeway I, uh, was at a, a birthday or a naming day or something for his daughter. So yeah. that means that, that she's a member of his family, in a way. Yes. And they are lost for however many years. We don't know what's going on. I assume that, that Tuvok and Tapel can... Not communicate, but sort of like, if something happened to one of them, they would know, even despite the yes. difference. I think that if anything was going to happen, it would only happen with Janeway on Tuvok's side. Yes. And I think that Tuvok is actually the perfect person to have a clandestine, we're going to have an emotional and sexual relationship, and it's not going to affect our professional relationship or our friendship. No, because like he's literally the only one that she could have this good relationship with and get whatever she needs from it. And and he too. Uh, you know, like I always say, yes. like there is zero percent chance that Ponfar with a hologram worked for Tubak. I'm sorry. That's just no, the way it is. I know ridiculous. that's what Canon says, but that is not true. Jane we helped. That happened. We didn't see it because it was private. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot more sense than what Canon told us. <laughs> I just really think that they are their family, their friends, and if if either of them needed the other for whatever reason in a physical way, they would be one hundred percent there for it. Also, I've decided that Janeway has definitely slept with Tuvok and Depel before the whole Delta Quadrant thing happened, so it wasn't like it was even something very new. Head cannon. Accepted. Thank you. Done. Happy, good, yay. Excellent. <laughs> so, good. And, uh, and that said, I really like Tuvac's dynamic with Valana. I really like Tuvac's dynamic with Seven. I think that Tuvac is a great character that should be shipped with, like, everyone. Tuvac and Chakotay. Why not? I was going to say, there's a lot of Tuvok Chakotay hate sex out there. Uh, there are 200-odd Ch- uh, Tuvok Neelix fix on AO3. Like, in, so... in my personal universe, it's only Janeway for him, other than Tapel. But yes. I support people who ship Tuvok with really anyone, because I love Tuvok. I think he's an amazing character. I think he would be a great lover, and... You know, He's had a lot go. of time to perfect his techniques. Go do. Go do you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wholeheartedly support this Tuvok agenda. Uh, do you ship Cat Paris Kim? Um, I... I think... I, okay, so I ship all best friends. <laughs> yes. So on that level, yes. I think that... Paris Kim Torres as a triad is great. That should, oh, yeah. that should happen. Um, Paris Kim by themselves, like, I just think it would be unbalanced. 
I think that Harry is in love with Tom, but mm. I'm not sure that Tom is in love with Harry. No, and I think that if you started with the premise, what if Tom was, that would be really cool. But I don't ship it enough to pursue that. Yeah, I really, I really just don't see it on Tom's part. No. I think because Harry is, like, too good. Like, Tom does not think that he is worthy of Harry. <laughs> yeah, and that's an uncomfortable dynamic. Then you get back to the whole Janeway, Chakotay, angry warrior thing. And that's not cool. Yeah. The Harry, I mean, Harry is, a, is the perfect cinnamon roll who also should get more attention than he does. Mm. But I just don't think that... I don't think that Tom would ever feel worthy of him. And I think that that would color the relationship. I agree. But I also think it's a real shame that Harry never gets a proper love interest or even much of a love story. And I honestly think that there's some level of racism at work and this idea that Asian men aren't sexy. And have you seen Garrett Wong? He is very sexy. He is very sexy. Harry had a crush on Seven and it was another thing that was played for laughs. And I yes, and I think that's yes. kind of offensive. Like why not yes. Harry and Seven? I didn't like the way it was done. Like he's scared to look at her because she's so beautiful and it was both objectifying for Seven and insulting to Harry. But they could have had a really good relationship. You had the writing been more interested in them as people and not lol harry is attracted to someone right i would probably if i if i was writing voyager (laughs) i would probably pair up harry with a not with not a series regular but with like a recurring character yeah i really do think like i don't know why we didn't get harry in relationship because i think harry would be the best boyfriend i agree like i think if you're gonna have like a a a romance to you know that sort of like a romance that would balance out Paris Torres like fireworks Harry and someone sweet Mm. like if Kess was still around Harry and Kess would be like this really nice counterpoint my OTP for Harry is a character we never see on screen Susan Nicoletti who um, Tom describes as cold hands, cold heart, but she plays the oboe with Harry. And I assume she's just mean to Tom because he's a sleaze and she doesn't like him. I actually, I found this somewhere online. I found, I wrote Janeway Nicoletti. <laughs> nice. Once. Nice. Thank you. I, I read it a couple of weeks ago and it uh, wasn't very good, but I tried. <laughs> but I like the idea of Harry having a girlfriend who seems cold and standoffish, but is actually very reserved and privately warm. And, you know, Harry is a guy who doesn't like to put himself on display. Yeah. Harry... I, I think he'd enjoy that. Had that one episode with Lindsay Ballard where yes. they were, like, besties. You know, she, she's like, ha she was here and she died. <laughs> And we didn't talk about it for three years, but but that totally happened. I mean, it was horrible. That that episode, the the setup of that episode is really not good. It's but super bad. I like Harry has this friend that he like had feelings for, but never got a chance 
to tell her. Like, it, that was a, an interesting story yeah. for Harry that I liked. And that I wish we got to see more of that Harry, of the flirtatious, caring. Like, whenever we do see Harry in a relationship, he seems kind of desperate. And I don't think that's fair. <laughs> like, I just, no. I want to see him in a long-term relationship because I, I think that he would be good at it. Well, we saw him briefly with his girlfriend Libby in another universe and they had a really good relationship. Yeah. You know, they tease each other, they love each other. She defies Starfleet security to let him get away, which is what I want in a partner. So, yeah, someone like Libby, but in the Delta Quadrant. Exactly. <sighs> oh, well, poor Harry. Not, Harry Kim deserved better. We know. <laughs> we know. Uh, and I think Garrett Wong will be the first to agree with us. Next on your list is Doctor Seven. Have we covered that? Well, we d- we discussed it briefly. I I think that Doctor Seven. I mean, there's like an interesting sort of my fair lady thing happening. Yes, and I am not opposed to exploring the my fair lady dynamic. I think that that is an interesting idea of someone who creates their mm. perfect person and then their perfect person grows beyond them. Like that is yes. an interesting story that they sort of almost told with the Doctor and Seven. They came very close. But they didn't quite get there. I think that the Doctor, when he like confesses to Seven, there's a couple times where the Doctor... Like, there's the one where he thinks he's dying and he just, like, falls on his knees and tells her that he loves her because he can't die without saying it. And that's, like, sort of cute. I sort of get it. Like, I'm like, okay, you know. I like that Seven does not, like, never shows interest in him. (laughs) No. I sort of appreciate that Seven does grow beyond him, that she is the flower girl who is more of a lady than than he could ever imagine her into. Like, I yes. I like that. So I, th- I think I like it the way it is, and I don't want it to be resolved in a then the Doctor gets seven. I think no, that... No, that would be horrible. There are a couple creepy moments. Again, the whole the Doctor teaching seven what romance is, is just... Why? Why would the uh, yeah. doctor be in charge of that? They're, like He is the least experienced person on the entire ship. Like, surely it should be Belada with her successful relationship and her shelf full of romance novels. It just, like, none of that makes sense. It is, it is a horrible, weird setup. I'm sorry, but now I'm picturing, like, Belana and Seven having a book club where Seven has to read a romance novel and then they talk about it. Yeah, that'd be good. That would be so great. That'd be so good. I do, like, some, someone to watch over me. I love when they sing at the end. I love mm. her horrible date with the random guy where they, they <laughs> give her lobster and she's like, this animal has an exoskeleton. I literally <laughs> say that every time anyone near me has a lobster to the point where this past summer my daughter's like the lobster was put in front of them and then they looked at me waiting for me to say it before they could start eating it was amazing and so like 
just for that line, I thank <laughs> I thank the universe for that episode. Every year I go to the barrister's assistant's Christmas drinks and it's like all the assistants and all the barristers. It's a great big thing. And every year they serve lobster. And every year I clutch my glass of wine and look at it and go, this animal has an exoskeleton. I am so glad that we are on the same wavelength with this. Like, it delights me that we are on opposite sides of the world and we are putting this out into the universe together. But... As, like, I would never want them to actually have a relationship, I guess. Is oh, I no. I would not want that to happen. But I kind of like the, the way they play with it. I feel like I would hate Dr. Seven a lot more because I don't love the power dynamic there, except that they have such chemistry, Robert Picardo and Jerry Ryan, that it's just a pleasure to watch them interact. Yeah, I think that they sell it. And, yes. And it's sort of like as much as Chakotay 7, which I can sort of intellectually understand and agree with, but it still makes me uncomfortable when they start kissing. Mm. Oh, <laughs> like, God. Oh. like, I wouldn't even be able to, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just cringe. I would be like, no, if the Doctor and Seven, like, actually had a relationship. <laughs> I just don't want Seven kissing anyone. Yeah. She is so, so asexual to me these days. That's that's the other reason I don't know if I can ship Janeway Seven again when I get to that point in my rewatch. Because one, I, I don't know if I'm into that power di- dynamic anymore. I'm going to see how it goes. But also, don't don't force Seven to be in a relationship. She clearly doesn't want to. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a good place to be. A good place to Yes. Carrie Wildman. This intrigues me because I don't think they ever meet. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Okay, so this is Joe Carey and Samantha Wildman, both of whom yes. are married in the Alpha Quadrant. Yes. But it's Voyager. Yeah, yeah. Both of whom have kids. I don't know how it started. Um, mm. But they had a not substantial but a reasonable, like, they, they were on my radar as they had <laughs> a following. And, yes, they absolutely do not meet in canon. It's sort of like Pair the Spares. Yeah. But I, I really, like, I love that. I love that someone somewhere out there saw two minor characters on the sidelines and was like, hey, why not these two? It's like, yeah, why not these two? I love it because you can tell they belong together because they're both the characters, the writers, forgot they hadn't killed. Exactly. They disappear for seasons and seasons because the writers mistakenly thought they were dead. And then, and then like, whenever they show up, it's like this, this defining moment. It's like, we, mm. we need someone. Oh, I know. Let's put Joe Carey, and like especially Carey, because he dies like right before they get home. And That's it, yes. I was so angry. And it is a big, it's like, we need to kill someone. And, you know, like, I am on record on this podcast as saying you actually don't need to kill anyone off to like make the stakes matter. But the writers <sighs> believed that they needed to kill someone off toward the end. To like make a point about all of the dramas, and so they picked Joe Carey because he was 
memorable. He was someone that the audience knew, but not part of the main cast. I like it. It's it's horrible. The the end of Joe Carey is just wrong in in so many ways because it it's so close to the end, and Janeway literally changes time to save Chakotay and Seven, but she doesn't do it for Joe Carey, and it's like fuck that. Like, sorry. Justice for Joe Carey. I just, I am like so appalled that because I don't think that Jane, I think that Janeway would change time for Joe Carey if she could. Like that. Yeah. I think that the, the Janeway that I believe in wouldn't just do it for Chicote and Seven, and that's what the writers want me to believe. And Tuvok, I will say. Chicote and Seven Tuvok. And it's sort of, sort of like, I mm. get it, because these are the people who are the, like, they're probably the three most important people to Janeway on the crew. But... But wouldn't it mean more if she did it for some random? Exactly. Wouldn't it be more meaningful? You know, she has the, the episodes where, like, Good Shepherd is such a great Janeway yes. episode, because it shows that she's like... I can't believe that I left these people behind. And the Lindsay Ballard episode too, she invites Lindsay to dinner and she's like, I'm sorry that I didn't know who you were. <laughs> like, I'm sorry that you <laughs> died and I didn't care because I never made the effort. Like, that's who Janeway is. And yeah. so why, I don't know, I have a lot of problems with Endgame and I haven't even ever actually seen it all the way through. So, you know, whatever. But... <laughs> This is that that bit is what's amazing to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, like, I have so many strong feelings about something that I haven't even fully experienced. But so I just, you know, <laughs> again, we're we're off topic here, but justice for mm -hmm. Joe Carey. And I uh, like a happy ending where Joe Carey and Samantha Wildman find each other. And this is sort of like a, you know, I am the person who was, why do they really have to get home? in the finale. <laughs> that doesn't really need to happen, right? Like, I am 100% for it takes 75 years for Voyager to get home mm. and mm. all the weird stuff that happens because of it and all, especially all of the weird relationships. There was a short story I read in a Pocket Books anthology. It wasn't Strange New Worlds. It was newer than that. But it was like a... Voyager can't get home so they hook up with this big civilization and make their home there and uh, some people cope really well and some people don't and I think um, Belana ends up with Harry and Janeway eventually reconciles to the situation and gets together with Chakotay and it was just a really solid little story that I think may have had a plot, but I don't remember any of that. I just remember the shipping. My favorite Voyager fan fiction, and probably my favorite Star Trek fan fiction, is an alternate universe version of Timeless, where oh. like seven people survive. So it's Janeway Paris, and mm -hmm. they, they both survive, and they... They basically have sex because they're in shock <laughs> and and they're like desperate for human connection. But they end up having three children that they raise in the husk Quick of check. Voyager. These children, are they lizards? No, they are not lizards. They are human okay, children. Good. But I do have siblings out there. <laughs> That's right. And so there are 
it's like one of the Delaney sisters, the doctor, Janeway Paris. I don't remember who the, the people who survive are, but there's a handful of people that survive. So Harry and Chakotay come back, as they do mm-hmm. in canon, and they're going to like fix the timeline and save Voyager. And Chakotay's like, so these seven people exist, plus these three children. <laughs> we, we can't mm-hmm. do this. Like, he immediately... Which is not what he said when he met the lizard babies. Okay. I know. So, just so he and Kellen are on team. We're just going to bring these people back to the Alpha Quadrant and, and everything's going to be, you know, we're going to move forward from here. Mm. But Harry, because it was Harry's mistake, is team, yes. we're going to change the timeline anyway. And it becomes, it's a really interesting look at, like, what if Voyager did have to stop? What if they did have to make a life in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. And what would that look like? I mean, it's an amazing story that I would, like, this is a story that not only have I, like, bookmarked multiple times, but I have printed it out so that if, like, it's deleted or if I don't have internet or if, you know, like, there's an apocalypse and the internet disappears entirely, I will still have this story. (laughs) Because it's that important to me. And you're going to put a link in the show notes. Absolutely, I will, yes. Excellent. Excellent. But, so I love stories where Voyager doesn't get home. I love stories where Voyager has to cope with something uh, mm. uh, along the way and stop for a moment. Because the relationship dynamics that happen, again, the longer they're, they're separated from their larger community, the more, the more, the more interesting the, the relationship dynamics yes. become. You know, this is, this is sort of like what I said in the last episode where epilogue went epilogue. It's like, why do we got to go there mm. to that happy place? <laughs> why can't we just stay in the mess? That's more interesting to me. I don't agree in canon, but I think that is exactly what Fick is for. I have just one question for you before we wrap up. Okay. Out of everyone on Voyager, who do you most ship Katrina Cordwell? <laughs> interesting, interesting. I have imagined mm. a lot of Discovery and Voyager crossovers, but I yes. didn't really input Cornwell in there with them. I will say that there was one scenario I came up with where it was like, it was Janeway and Lorca, and then, like, I loved Chicote and Cornwell were like, sort of like having a, a conversation over coffee. <laughs> and then, like, this is what I imagined. I didn't write this part, but it was like mm. Chicote um, and Cornwell were having a conversation over coffee and was sort of like, so the people that the universe, like, thinks, you know, that, that, of everyone in the universe, the person I should be with is over there having sex with the person in the universe that you should be with. So maybe we should have sex too? Like, maybe that's what should happen? Time-honoured basis for fic. <laughs> so, but that's the only um, one that I put in. I'm going to say, I'm going to be typical me and say Tuvok. I was also going to say Tuvok. Obviously, Janeway is a clear leading candidate, but I always feel weird shipping Catherine's and Katrina's and people with the same name. Yeah. So, Tuvok. 
I, I think that the cats are too similar, but but Tuvok... That's, that's the other thing. They're very similar personalities. I think because I'm very into the scenario where instead of being blown up, Cat, because of all the time travel shenanigans around her, is just thrown somewhere and somewhere else. Cat ends up on Voyager. More headcanon and... accepted. Thank you. Ask me about my fic where she ends up on the Enterprise D and spending uh, the next few months with Sarek in his final days. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I am legit going to write that as soon as I I'm finish. I'm so excited. I feel like if Cat wound up on Voyager, on the one hand she outranks Janeway, but on the other hand she is 110 odd years out of date and is not really prepared for this situation whereas Voyager really really needs a psychiatrist mm-hmm. that's what I was going to say and and Tuvok is the closest that they have so he would be like yeah. thrilled he'd be like good yes. please take all of this emotional nonsense away from me I no longer want to be in charge of it <laughs> Right, so she's still like an advisor and sounding board to Janeway, and she supplements the doctor and spends a lot of time drinking tea and playing Kalto with Tuvok. And Tuvok, while they wouldn't, they're not contemporaries, he has some memories of people that she would also have memories of. Like people where yes. she was older and, and uh, he was younger, like they sort of overlap. And so, yes, exactly. He remembers the 23rd century, even if I think he couldn't have been more than a child, if that, at the time she allegedly dies. But I, you know, as you say, there's overlap. Right. There's that, there's that slight enough of a connection there. And I, you know, I had canon that she spent a lot of time with Vulcans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She... Is clearly very comfortable with right. Sarek. She's comfortable with them, exactly. She doesn't force Vulcans to be human the way that so many humans do. Mm. But she also doesn't restrain herself in front of them. Right. She doesn't try to, she doesn't pretend to be Vulcan either. No, she blows up a bowl of fortune cookies. Truly her finest moment. <laughs> All of her moments are her finest moments, okay? Not over it. <laughs> Even when she almost blew up a planet? I mean, it was an interesting character choice. Yes, yes. Okay, we're done. Wrap up. <laughs> Alrighty. What an interesting uh, place to stop. Okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. You can also suggest us to your friends. And join us in two weeks for our 30th amazing, 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 our 30th episode when we are going to be answering questions from the audience. That's you. So if you have a question for us, Send it to us on at Twitter, send it to us on Tumblr, you know, find us wherever you know where we are, and let us know what crazy Star Trek questions you would like us to address. They don't even have to be Star Trek questions. That's true. Would you rather fight 40 human-sized porgs or one... No. One human-sized porg or 40 humans... 
40 pork sized tubes. I was recently asked who'd win in a fight, Harry Potter or Anakin Skywalker, and I'm totally willing to talk about that for 20 minutes. <laughs> I have never doubted you. Uh, so, <laughs> send us your questions. Anything and everything is up for grabs. We reserve the right to ignore personal questions if they're uncomfortable. 